has provided for them bread from heaven, water from a rock. God's blessing has really been upon them and provided and cared for them. And now uh, Moses and God are up on Mount Sinai and uh, uh, the Lord is about to speak to Moses telling him what's happening down below. And what is happening down below is they're getting a little restless. God is not showing up like they had thought or hoped or they're getting a little nervous because God's representative Moses has seemed to have disappeared so they are starting to panic. And they create a God in their own in the, the image of a golden calf and begin worshipping that which I know seems foolish but uh, that's what they're doing. That's what's taking place. So here as we begin at verse 7 we hear uh, God speaking to Moses. For, in respect and reverence to the word of the Lord will you please stand for the scripture reading this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought out out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, God. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Let us pray. Every breath we have comes from you, Lord. May we be faithful with each day that you give us. May we take these few moments to just humbly come before you, open our minds and hearts, so that you might speak to us today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The anger of God in the Old Testament, sometimes it's referred to, not fairly, that we just see a bunch of anger in the Old Testament. God is angry with people, and here he's wanting to destroy the Israelites because of their unfaithfulness, because they've turned to another God. And Moses is quick to make four points. He's like reminding God of God. He's reminding him, why, why would you destroy these people who you've, you, you've worked so hard to bring out of, out of Egypt? You've, you've done so much for them. Why, why will you want to destroy them? And then his second point, he makes four. His second point is kind of like, well, what, what will the neighbors think? He's saying the Egyptians will say, ha, their God brought them out of Egypt just to wipe them off the face of the earth. Lord, you don't want that reputation. You don't want people to think you just brought your people out to destroy them. What will the Egyptians say? He then pleads with them, please turn, turn from your fierce anger. Turn from your fierce anger and, and have pity on them. He's pleading for these people. Finally, he tells God to remember. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel. You swore to them. To their descendants. You said their descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Oh Lord, please do not destroy the people of Israel. Moses was very long in coming down the mountain. And actually in verse 1 and 32 of chapter 32 captures what was happening. 
When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods. God was not acting. God was not responding in the way they thought he should or would. Uh, this is not what they expected. I mean, I'm having a hard time. I've always had a hard time with this, even in Sunday school classes, how they turn to God, from God, so quickly. He had brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. The, the waters had parted. I mean, if I had that experience, I think I'd worship this God forever. At least I think that I would. God is providing bread for him, heaven every day, and, and they still are, are quick to turn from this God and say, you know what, let's, let's make a golden, a golden calf or a golden bowl. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Why would they turn so quickly from this God after all that this God has done for them? So they make a, a golden calf, a bull. They take off their, their, their earrings, their gold. They give it to Aaron. They melt it and they make this symbol, which I guess is a symbol of power, this calf bull. It just seems so silly to me. This golden calf has done nothing for them, but yet they're going to bow to it. What a silly thing to worship. It's almost like you going into the calf and worshiping the new chicken rotisserie machine that's in there. Have you seen the new chicken rotisserie machine? It's like you're going in and bowing to that and worshiping to the new chicken rotisserie machine. And now you may say, Corey, wait a minute, now that's just silly. That's, that's just ridiculous. This is not Sunday school. This is not children's Sunday school. Don't give us the silly, ridiculous examples. I would say that what is silly and ridiculous is in this text that these people decided to bow down to a golden calf. That is what is silly and ridiculous. They've forgotten all that God had done for them. They had forgotten the faithfulness of God and how He provided and cared for them. And they quickly turned to a God of their own making. That is what's silly and ridiculous. I don't mean to pass judgment on them. I just, it just doesn't make sense. It's so absurd silly to worship any other God above the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Silly to worship any other God but our God and Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet we too quickly turn to other gods when God is not represented. When God is not showing up the way we think God should show up. When our prayers are not being answered the way we think our prayers should be answered, we too quickly turn to other gods. A pastor from uh, New York City, Tim Keller, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, recently came out with a book. I read it over the weekend. It's called Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters. Now, what frustrates me about reading Dr. Keller's books, uh, like I said, a pastor of a church, he just takes his sermons, uh, takes several weeks' sermons, puts them in a book, and makes millions of dollars. And that bothers me a little bit. Um, no one's asked for my sermons in a book, and chances are I never will. But it still bothers me. A little bit. But he must have done this extended series on counterfeit gods. And, uh, and he, gave, he gave the big three, didn't he, in the title? Money, sex, and power. How quickly we turn to those big three. We quickly recognize those big three, that those quickly can become our God, or we can quickly bow to them, or, or they become first. You may remember the first message I spoke in chapel uh, this semester. We talked about the importance of having God first in our life. And that is what this text is highlighting as well. God must be first. There must be no other God before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know if many of you remember Deion Sanders. Anyone remember Deion Sanders, athlete? Every guy, a lot of guys, ladies don't seem to know. It doesn't matter. 
He was an athlete, played professional football, played professional baseball, probably one of the greatest athletes of his time. The endorsements he had were unbelievable. And while I was in seminary, it was really the height of his career, the height of his success. And in the midst of his career, he came to accept Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. A beautiful testimony how he committed to the Lord and he was pastoring for a while. He may still be in the Dallas, Texas area. He was part of a, a church there and pastoring. And really, the Lord just came into his life and changed him. He made it new. And so when this was going on, he came out with a book called Money, Sex, and Power. And I was traveling with the New Testament, or the um, theology professor from Nazarene Seminary. We were traveling together to uh, Trebekah Nazarene College to do a recruiting trip for the seminary. And I had this book with me, and so we're sitting next to each other on the plane, and uh, Dr. Noble is just a brilliant man, and I say, so what are you reading? And he mentions some German guy, and he's reading in German, and then translating into French, and then going back to the Greek, and then the Hebrew, and then English, I guess. Something like that. I mean, it was that, it was that, it was that impressive. And the moment he responded to what he was reading, I remember praying, Lord, please don't ask him, don't let him ask me what I'm reading. Because I was reading Money, Sex, and Power. He says, so what are you reading, Corey? I'm like, oh. Theology professor. Well, I'm reading Deion Sanders. I'm showing the copy of the book, and Deion Sanders' face is like big on the cover, like he's smiling. I'm saying, Money, Sex, and Power by Deion Sanders. Interesting. <laughs> I would like to point out that uh, after that recruiting trip, NTS had never had so many students come from Trebek in one year than they did the year that I was there recruiting. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But money, sex, and power. And Deion Sanders talks about this, how, how those were his gods. And, and he, he had unbelievable amounts of money. And he had all these girlfriends who weren't really girlfriends. He didn't respect uh, women at all. And he, he talks about that. And he, he talks about he just want, one day while he was watching television, he counted himself in 12 different commercials. 12 different commercials. And he talked about how these were his gods and, and how empty it was how completely empty it was, and how he was dying inside and tried to commit suicide. Yes, we go to these big three, the money, sex, and power, and, and I'd encourage you to read either one of those books if you want to look into that a little more. But I'm coming to the understanding that there are a lot of good things in life that can become our God as well. There are a lot of good things in life that we can put before God, uh, that we worship before God, our relationships. You've heard the statement, uh, he worships the ground she walks on. I would encourage you ladies, if there's ever a man in your life, you worship the ground he walks on. Think of that rotisserie chicken machine. He's nothing but a dead bird in a box, that's all he is. And our relationships, good and healthy things, good important things, we can very easily make them their, our God. They can easily come before God. We can make decisions that, that are destructive and they can turn into habits. And, you know, I've met people who, who I think bitterness is their God. Really, I, as I was preparing this week and reading this book, I, he didn't mention it, but I just, you know, I think I've, found, I've seen people with bitterness. They're so at peace and so comfortable being so bitter and such a critical spirit that 
they probably wouldn't say this or recognize it, but that has become their God. The verse of the year for the faculty that uh, President McGee shared at the beginning of the year was speak encouraging words to one another, build up hope so you'll, you'll be in this together. I'm not referring to people here, but I've met people in life. They wouldn't know what an encouraging, was, an encouraging word was if it hit them upside the head. They, they don't know what it means to speak an encouraging word because they become so self-centered in their bitterness and their critical spirit that that, that has become their God. Yes, money, sex, and power, it's always a temptation. Good things can become our God if we are not careful. Our relationships, our children, people putting their children above God, our ministry, our involvement in the church, even those can become their God. I've met a few people along the way who think the church that they're a part of is actually theirs. It is actually theirs. They're fully committed to it. They, they do a lot of work around the church, but they really think it's theirs. And, and the church itself has, has become theirs in their mindset. And it has become above their relationship with God. Dr. Keller writes, we think that idols are bad things. But that is almost never the case. The greater the good the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy your deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. What are you worshiping today? Is God first in your life? When you worship something above God our Father, you end up getting hurt. And what's important that we realize, that we look at this text today, not only do we hurt ourselves, we end up Hurting others. This is a community here. God is not relenting and extending grace to just one person. He is extending grace to all. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Worship no other gods before me. As a child in the Sunday school hour, I used to think that God was just... Literally jealous. We hear about God being a jealous God and, and sometimes think He's angry. I mean, we grow up thinking that way, but God's ways are higher than ours and He knows that we must have Him first in our life to, to, to truly be blessed by Him so that we might be a blessing to others. It's not an individualistic thing. It's a thing so God can use our life to the fullest. You hurt the community you are part of, whether that be in your home or church or school, when, when you worship something other than God. It is about you and God and the community you are part of. How you live affects the lives of others around you. You see, I don't think the Israelites all at one time came up with this idea, let's make a golden calf and worship them. I don't think it was just all of a sudden, one time, they all just felt that way. Someone started to talk. Someone started to, to get restless. Someone started to scheme and maneuver for power, maybe. Someone started to, to doubt, and, and that infected the whole community. See, how we live affects the community we're a part of. And that is why God must be first in our life. You've seen this. I'm sure you have. Maybe you've seen it in your very own home. Maybe you've seen it amongst friends or family members, extended family members, where people are hurt because others don't have God first in their life. There's a selfishness that takes place, and people are hurt by that. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. God knows in how we live, and when we put other gods above him, not only is it detrimental to our own life, it's detrimental to the people around us. 
And you can tell me there'd be some truth in it. I can live a life of not having God first and not hurt anybody. That's, that's certainly, we've met a lot of good people, right, that are not in a church, don't care about good, caring, loving people, good parents, good children. I agree with all of that. That, that, that is certainly possible. We've seen that. I'm, I hope that you've seen that. But not only is Scripture clear that you need to be reconciled with God, I'd like you to know that God cannot use your life to the fullest. God cannot use your life to the fullest for others. It's not just about you. God cannot use your life to the fullest for others unless He is first in your life. Don't you want God to use your life to the fullest? I know you're, you're very young and you've got many years ahead of you, but I promise you life is short and the days pass quickly and don't waste a day where God doesn't use your life to the very fullest. Exodus is a beautiful book. It contains some of the richest uh, foundational theology, some of the richest teaching of, of God and God's character. Uh, it shows God's revelation. The person of God has talks about law and worship. It is a rich book. And what this text points out, what all the Old Testament points out, what all the Scripture points out, that this God we serve is a God of redemption. That this God we serve is a God of grace. That this God we serve is a God of mercy and love. Yes, even in the Old Testament, some of you have a hard time seeing it, but it is there. 32.14 Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. 33.6 God speaking to Moses again. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God of mercy. We serve a God who is in the business of redeeming and restoring and renewing. Keller writes, The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the one true God. The living God who revealed himself both on Mount Sinai and on the cross is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. That is the God we serve. What gods are you worshiping today? What gods are you worshiping? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to close in a song. It's a song that we'll sing together. It just seems to be the appropriate way to close this morning. Where we sing corporately about our God. About His grace, mercy, and love. This triune God we serve. But I must ask you today, what gods are you serving? For not only does it come between you and your relationship to God, it, it prevents all that God wants to do in and through your life for the community you're a part of. Maybe God wants to do so much more in your home if you would just let Him. Maybe God wants to do so much more in your churches if you would just let Him. Maybe God wants to do so much more through you here at Eastern Nazarene College if you would just let Him. We serve a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of redemption. So corporately, we will sing together and let it be our heart's cry that yes, we want to serve the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us sing together.